The core tenets of Seth's teachings is freedom from the oppression of the aeons, no servitude, no subjugation. When the children of Judas proselytized of Set, claiming that he was a demon which could be served, one of the very fundamental truths of the Setites was broken. Thus they were hunted by the Orthodox. But it was too late, and these Satanists were able to spread their teachings to many other groups of Setites, all of whom had been banned from Set's temples by the elders of the clan, and thus unable to study Set's true words. Up until the Crusades, the followers of Set had kept mainly out of the business of other clans. Their faith argued that all who did not follow Set's teachings were enemies, so naturally they felt little inclination to mingle with the childer of the traitorous Aeons. Yet when the Christians of the North and the Muslims of the East waged war, the Setites could prosper from it, and they did. This is where they earned their reputation as providers, as greedy and ill-willed merchants who peddled their wares to any who would buy them. The followers of Set realized that if they played out Christians against Muslims, and vice versa, both sides would weaken, in turn strengthening Sets, and what better way to do that than to provide information and resources for them to continue their war against one another. Ultimately, the Crusades was a highly lucrative venture for the followers of Set who grew rich, influential, and quite a bit more cosmopolitan in its wake. But to absolutely no one's surprise, the Muslims of the region, having suffered through years of war and plights, were hardened and increasingly intolerant towards a faith that preached liberation through sin and debauchery, and that had repeatedly prospered on the bloodshed of their people. The Muslims needed little reason to initiate their purge of the Set worshippers, and anyone could point to the money amassed by the followers of Set, the relatively small amount of harm they had suffered, and the countless times they had aided either side of the conflict to prolong it just a little bit longer. A great purge was initiated to rid themselves of the corrupting influence of these vampires, and while the followers of Set were the primary targets, most of these witch hunters cared little which clan the head they chopped off belonged to. Sultan Baybars, a Marmeluk, that is a Turkish slave bought and raised to fight for the sultans of Egypt, had usurped the throne of Egypt and seized it for himself. Baybars was especially comprehensive in his desire to cleanse Egypt of the vampires, and he did a very good job out of it. Three great elder temples were sacked and burned, destroying priceless artifacts and scrolls, and eventually the Hierophants of Set decided that they needed to leave Egypt to survive the night. So in the 13th century, the Proclamation of Red Tears was commanded, and the clan at large left Egypt, bringing with them all the artifacts they could carry, and the clan sought to repay old debts and bury old grudges through gifts and sweet words. It worked, to some extent, but the clan never truly recovered all that it had lost those years. Baybars was eventually slain by a Banu Hakim assassin, who was in turn greatly rewarded by the followers of Set, granted a life boon by the entire clan. Even to this day, the death of their clan's enemy is celebrated, and 30 years after the king's death, the Setites returned once more to Egypt. They had learned well from the Knights Templars and their highly efficient international network. While their order had paid the ultimate price for their ambitions, the Setites knew that it worked. Once they had recovered enough power in their ancestral homelands to remain secure, they began to look north and west, considering how to best gain power. Ultimately, they did so as merchants, offering exotic wares to noble houses that had developed a taste for it during the Crusades. 
Their extensive merchants network was rigorously maintained and ensured that they could easily outbid or outright outbuy most moral competitors. Eventually this transgressed beyond simple wares and the followers of Seth became experts in peddling vices and desires to whomever paid them. Eventually, step by step, the old edicts were loosened and the clan began to embrace in Europe as well, choosing adepts gifted enough to further the cause of their faith. While the elders still complained about this, it became inevitable. Not the least because the cult of Typhon was still very much active in Europe, sometimes even without vampiric influence over it, and these cults most often eagerly rejoined the main family of the clan. Another branch, which was more distantly related, was the subsect of the Canaanite heresy called the Church of the Black Magdalene. While steeped deeply in Christian and Gnostic symbolism, this faith preached that only through acts of love and compassion could one acquire God's love, and all acts done with these intentions were good, and all acts, no matter how justified, done out of spite, hatred or anger, were evil by their very nature. To act upon your desires, to lay with others and to share your love and passion, that was the path to heaven. While the Magdalenites did not worship Set per se, it was clear that some fundamental truths from Set's teachings could be found in theirs. Unfortunately for the Church of the Black Magdalene, their relationship with the Canaanite heresy would prove their undoing, as other kindred forced the Catholic Church to purge them and their worshippers. Although it is said some key members of the sect survived and re-established themselves under another name much later. The followers of Set remained relatively neutral through the Anarch Revolt, once again attempting to play both sides against each other, until the Banu Hakim sided with the Anarchs. The two clans had long been enemies and this forced the Setites' hands, having them secretly side with the elder vampires and helping to reveal the location of the Alamut, the Banu Hakim's stronghold while also providing the Tremere information about the clan's use of blood magic. In return, the elders offered the Setites membership in the Camarilla, which they politely declined. Some argue they did this because it went against their master's teachings about the traitorous Aeons who had betrayed Set, others that it would put too much political responsibility on a clan who cared very little for it. But regardless, the followers of Set remained by the sidelines, watching the two sects war against each other and occasionally helping one side or the other for their own purposes. The Ottoman Empire proved utterly predictable to the followers of Set, and while they certainly thrived under it, they held nothing but contempt for its bloated bureaucracy and inefficiency. Still, it offered up many opportunities for them to corrupt and entice, which kept them busy for hundreds of years. In Europe, meanwhile, especially during the late 17th and 18th century, there was a large upswing in fascination with the occult, which offered an easy in for the Setites who had plenty to offer. This fascination only grew throughout the 19th century, where there was an explosion of infatuation with Egyptian iconography and mythology, much thanks to Napoleon's invasion of Egypt in 1798. This craze did not please all Setites, however, because while they were certainly more welcome in any court than they'd ever been before, it also meant that hundreds of European archaeologists traveled to their homelands, searching for ancient buried tombs and secrets. These were things the Setites desperately did not want revealed, and thus they did their best to temper humanity's obsession with ancient Egypt to no avail. Also in the 19th century, the colonial impulses of mortals brought with it reconnections with older branches of the vampiric family tree, 
and many distant bloodlines and broods of kindred made their way to Europe. The clan had spread rather wide over time, and the Sethites were rejoined by sub-Saharan bloodlines who had long abandoned the name of their founder, although by far not his teachings. Likewise, the Daitya of India had replaced their dark father with Shiva, and demanded to be respected and considered equal to the so-called main clan. They were certainly quite powerful, and while they are much more respected among Indian vampires than the Sethites are in the West, they do show clear evidence of being of the same clan. There are also rumors of a distant bloodline called the Tlachic, who represented many of the same ideals that their Egypt counterparts embrace, yet lacking the serpentine power of the Setites. These Tlachic, however, were wiped out by the European settlers who saw their expressions of faith as a brand of Satanism. A particular bloodline of the followers of Set are the Serpents of the Light, who have denounced the teachings of Set and actively wish to destroy the main clan. They were formed in the West Indies during the heydays of the slave trade, or so it is said, but they didn't break away from the clan until the 1960s when they formed an alliance with the Sabbat in order to protect themselves from the orthodox branches of the Satite teachings, who wanted to wipe out the Caribbean branch. The Serpents of the Light are heavily influenced by the multitudes of faith of the West Africas, from which many of the mortals they mingle with err, and they practice blood magic as well, capable of powerful feats that keep the Setites at a distance. In modern times, the previously so tightly knit doctrine of the faith of Set has been severely loosened, at times even abandoned by his descendants. Some Setites adhere to these teachings rigorously, yet others, in a growing number, consider the worship of their clan's founder quaint, almost embarrassing. As time passes and humanity's relationship to faith evolves, so too must the serpents evolve in order to ensure that their war against the Aeons can continue. Core to the Setite belief is that society, culture, at least certain aspects of it, and religious and ethical creeds are merely tools used to ensnare mortals and vampires. At best, they limit your experiences and pleasure during the brief time that you're alive. At worst, they actively prevent you from reaching true salvation and freedom. In a sense, the followers of Seth have much in common with the teachings of the Gnostic faith. That the one who created our world is not almighty, but rather jealous of us and who wishes to take back the divinity they once granted us. The soul is imprisoned, shackled by obligations and servitude, and only by truly abandoning all that binds us to the mortal world can our essence be free. It is not the act of committing a sin that attracts a Theophidian, a follower of the path of Typhon and the teachings of Seth. It is the act of breaking that sin's hold over their soul. By facing the repulsion they feel at this base degradation, it no longer holds any power over them. Conscience and morality based on customs and dictates of society are shackles, imposed upon a soul. Only the soul knows what is truly right and wrong to it. To reveal these shackles, a mortal or kindred may need to be shown their servitude in a more easily understood manner. If someone sees their own enslavement to a vice, like drugs or sex, then their minds will be more ready to accept that there are other, more complex chains that keep their souls fettered. Although they are all children of Set, the clan he spawned now preached a multitude of creeds, related but not quite identical. Many of the clan's elders struggled to maintain their grip on their congregation, and while often accepted in most cities, the Setites have a reputation as conniving and self-serving. Perhaps it is time for the snake to shed its skin, or if we were to use a more modern analogy, a rebranding might be in order.
Our work has pleased the antediluvian snow who has risen to oversee it. Long may he reign, this dark god. The Methuselah, Aubrey Ayers, whose wisdom transcends the boundaries of our understanding, and her satanic majesty Danny, reborn through fire and ice, are likewise worthy of our devotion. We are truly blessed to serve such illustrious masters. The Council would also especially like to thank these primogen for their contribution to its work. Maximilian S. Hardcastle, 06, Stonewolf 18, Jokerman, Cal Constantine, and Bambi Parsons. Your wisdom, experience, and good judgment shall be the torchlight by which we conduct our affairs. Our elders Edward Reed, Dante the Canine, What's That Smells His Blood, Remy Van Roy, and Gaslight 88 shall receive our gratitude for their support and wise counsel. And we would also wish to send our thanks to the Ancillae Colin Gifford, Harry Wyckoff, Envy Han, and Adam Daw for their support. Likewise, our stalwart neonates shall, as always, receive our appreciation for their services. And thank you for watching. Now be careful out there. For Gehenna may soon be upon us.